everyone and welcome back to the News Agent Podcast. My name is Andrea Warmington and I'm the Senior Content Manager here at Good Lord. Today's podcast is a recording of our webinar with Sean Hooker of the Property Redress Scheme and Ollie Sherlock, Good Lord's Director of Insurance, discussing the Renters Reform Bill. Let's get into it. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's Good Lord webinar. Um, we're going to be discussing everything you need to know about the Renters Reform Bill, which may be a big ask, given uh, some some of the details are a little vague. Um, uh, I'm Ollie Sherlock, um, Director of Insurance here at Good Lord, and to try and um, sort of sift through uh, any vagueness, we're going to be joined shortly by um, Sean um, to obviously talk through uh, the details. In terms of the agenda today, we're going to be covering a number of points. We're going to talk about abolishing uh, Section 21. We're going to cover lifetime deposit deposits um, and changes to Section 8, amongst other things as well uh, that have been noted within the Renters Reform Bill itself. Throughout the session today, we have a live Q&A um, and we'd implore you to ask questions throughout the session. Um, if you've joined these webinars before, we, we do quite enjoy obviously taking the questions as they come in and we'll try to answer them the best we possibly can. We also have a Q&A session at the end to, to mop up any questions that we've not had a chance to cover um, as we go through. As I say, um, I'm, I'm also joined today by Sean. Um, I think Sean should be there. Sean Hooker from the PRS. Is Sean there? There is Sean. Yes, Sean. I'm here. Yeah. Sean's job today is to give, give more insights and Dominic Cummings' WhatsApp uh, history. Um, let's... <laughs> Let's see if you can manage that, Sean, uh, when it comes to the renters' reform bill. How are you doing today, Sean? Not too bad, Ollie. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm feeling like Alice in Wonderland, trying to do three impossible things before breakfast. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> trying to cover this topic in 45 minutes, but we, we'll give it our best shot. Indeed. And it's something that um, has gathered quite a bit of pace, obviously, over um, what over the last two years, I think, actually, um, since the first announcement in the Queen's, Queen's speech back in 20. 2019 20, yeah 2019 was the first yeah it was yeah yeah 2019 um, yeah and of course most recently we've had another announcement as part of the queen's speech again which was um a little eat sleep repeat really if i'm honest it was just again a nod towards the, the fact that this thing was being looked at um still um and understandably, this has taken a backseat, hasn't it, um, in light mm. of the pandemic and the other challenges that the the country as a whole frankly has faced yeah, no, absolutely, Ollie. Yeah, it, it seems like, a, a, you know, an eternity since uh, the government uh, surprisingly announced uh, you know, that they were going to be se- uh, uh, abolishing Section 21. Uh, it was something that the opposition parties were uh, banging on for a long, long time, and then suddenly out of the blue, in it came. But, but you know, we are literally uh, in no man's land at the moment. The government is um, it's pledged to do this. It's in the Queen's speech. But uh, rather than uh, putting a bill forward, which is what you do normally in legislation, they're putting forward a white paper and my understanding is that this white paper is literally going to be uh, they're going to outline what they want to do and ask some questions and consult on it and that process has already started however you know we won't actually probably see anything written down in bill form for well till the least beginning of uh, next year I would uh, imagine Mm. so you know that's where we are at the moment so so let's start there let's start with with, with discussing uh, abolishing section 21 um and i appreciate for many of you you'll have a good understanding of what the potential of this is and um, what we're hoping to do today is go through each category and just explain um what the objective was in terms of what the plan or, or, or loose plan was that was set out and then obviously discuss what we think the implications of that are so from a section 21 perspective sean can mm-hmm. you just sort of talk us through what the objective of this initiative would be in terms terms of section 21 
Right. Well, firstly, Ollie, you know, language is very, very important. So the government isn't actually, uh, you know, uh, framing this as uh, the abolition of Section 21, although effectively that's what it's going to be. It is, they're framing it as reforming the eviction process and uh, the court process and making a better system, in their words, to uh, to the way that you can regain possession of a property or evict a tenant. So, uh, you know, effectively, we know we've been in COVID. We know all the situations that are going going on at the moment with, with uh, restrictions, etc. We, we know that the eviction ban has been lifted. But you know, ironically today, and my good friend Ben Beadle and, and the NRLA, uh, they've just released a report and, and, and the figures are quite frightening. They are estimating now, the NRLA, that there are 800,000 people who have gone into some form of arrears uh, during COVID. 82% of them were not in arrears before. So we do know we have a, had we have a problem with people that were in arrears before the COVID. And of course, uh, my good friend Paul Champolina of Landlord Action has been dealing with lots of cases where the landlords have been waiting uh, over a year, uh, racked up debts of £30,000, etc. in terms of arrears because the people were in arrears before the actual lockdown. But this, this problem now is that there are people that have never been in arrears, probably never would have gone in arrears, and now are in arrears. We know that nine out of 10 uh, landlords are um, individuals, not companies or mm. huge portfolio landlords. And, and this is quite a surprising, uh, you know, um, not a surprising one for those people that, uh, you know, deal in this sector. But 55% of universal uh, credit um, uh, recipients have lapsed into some form of arrears or, or delay in payments, which uh, effectively means that the, the, the universal credit system um, you know, it's, it's been shown to be a creaking at the seams, but it also has kind of like killed confidence in the uh, benefit sector, which prior to, you know, the tinkering that's been going on with universal credit was uh, seen as a very reliable and a very stable uh, part of the, the rental sector. So those are some of the report um, um, uh, findings that have come out into the report, and they've also made recommendations of what they would like to see. So we know at the moment that, uh, that there's a there's a coalition, an unbelievable coalition, which involves the NRLA, Property Mark have joined it now, plus uh, Generation Rent and Shelter and Citizens Advice, all calling for tenant saver loans, tenant saver loans to to alleviate this situation and stop this um, this uh, this situation turning into what could turn out to be an eviction crisis. Uh, this coalition is probably as unlikely as the one in Israel, but uh, we will see uh, uh, that uh, whether the government actually open their ears and listen to this. But this is, I mean, this has been a long time coming, and and this is quite inherently linked to. Um, the potential abolishment of Section 21, of course, because mm-hmm. you've got mass need potentially at the back end or, or you know, through the hangover of the pandemic to obviously take action. And depending how the timing falls, then this, this could be um, extremely serious in terms of the detriment of the industry itself in, 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 from some respects. But in terms of the government's view, um, I, I've been part of, uh, of letting industry council calls, you know, different forums. It's been clear throughout the whole pandemic that this is just something from a, a tenant save a loan perspective or similar initiatives. It's something they've refused to entertain and really made a point of refusing to entertain it as well. Not just saying nothing, but saying, actually, we've looked at this. This is not something we've supplied help already through through numerous different schemes. Um, and we believe that we've, we've done our utmost in order to support landlords. Now, of course, if you're a landlord who's been in the situation you explained earlier, or indeed one of the many landlords that we see through our rent protection scheme, for example, 
um, who thank goodness they've got protection in place, but still feel the burden of the process itself. I think you would disagree. I think you would say, actually, you know, I have bills to pay. And your point around nine in 10 landlords being individual landlords uh, really does prop up the fact that these these people have their own costs to pay. They're not all millionaires driving around in Bentleys and frankly have 30 properties. And therefore, if one doesn't doesn't quite work, then it doesn't matter, are they? And you know, the knock on effect to actually removing powers within or under Section 21, of which, you know, whilst they could be improved, I, I appreciate that, have worked pre-pandemic, the knock on effect and the timing at this moment in time could be disastrous, frankly. No, no, absolutely. And and certainly what you're looking at at the moment is uh, the, the, the changes and the, the way things are going. It's not uh, it's not actually solving the problem. It's it's delaying it. So mm. you are not going to see uh, in the short to medium term thousands of people, uh, you know, um, ended up on the streets. However, underlying there's going to be a structural problem with huge numbers of uh huge parts of the sector uh you know we, we talked about that almost uh, you know eight hundred thousand. it could be a million uh, landlords affected by this we know the government's agenda and, and i don't want to go too tangentially on that is that they, 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 they i wouldn't say they're anti-landlord but but landlords are not their you know uh, their priority their priority is uh is home buyers we know that that they uh, are suspicious uh, of the single landlord with the, with a couple of properties they really want to see a more institutional len, um, people entering into the market isn't it ironic that you know the, the amount of uh, announcements yesterday on the commercial letting side and the and the extension of the uh, of the eviction ban there and the help and and that they're giving on the commercial sector that kind of shows the priority of this government at the moment and they don't see that the the private landlord is uh, you know is the is their priority yeah and i think yeah. in terms of looking at the commercial sector and those extensions you know i think there's there's, there's well there was welcome relief frankly that the eviction ban was lifted but that is just one step and you know the, the initiatives that have been taken in the last 14 months are frankly uh, i think as you've suggested have kicked the can down the road and i've mm. publicly said that you know i think it's it, it the, the, the lack of activity and support has meant that actually we get to the point we are now you know, to Oliver's question, um, great name, Oliver, by the way. To Oliver's question, um, I, I, I wouldn't go as far to, to suggest that, um, that the government are, are forcing or looking to, uh, or their desire is for all landlords to sell up um, and increase the proportion of owner occupation. However, I would definitely agree with Sean's uh, sentiments around the direction of travel. The, the government um, have been pretty clear about this. Even in the Queen's speech itself, the quote was there, my government will help more people to own their own home whilst enhancing the rights of those who rent. I think sem- semantically, just in, in the order in which they're presented, suggests what the priority um, is there. So, you know, we end up in a place then um, that the white paper is due in autumn. Uh, and interestingly, um, we, we've called it, we've said obviously abolishing Section 21 this slide. And indeed, you know, that has been the suggestion for, for, for quite some time. However, the temperature has changed somewhat on this, hasn't it, Sean, from being quite directive of we're going to introduce these measures to now actually we're going to write a paper. And there's a potential here that there isn't enforcement. There's more suggestions that go round and round the mill and eventually um, arguably do nothing to, to change the actual process. What's your thoughts on, on, on the risk or, or opportunity, depending which side of the coin you sit, on actually just getting recommendations here and, and actually not seeing anything in law? 
Well, absolutely, and 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 this this is this is the question now. You know, it's like it's like trying to speculate who's going to win the uh, you know Euro twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. You know, look, you know, I've spoken to lots of people. I've listened to loads of people, uh, your good self included. You know, Lord Best, who is well known, uh, a well known peer, uh, who, who you know he sky behind the regulation of uh, letting agents. Mm. Uh, he addressed the TLIC not less than a month ago, and he was saying that he reckons that the the bill. Is is possibly going to be watered down uh, in the sense that you know they will put some measures in that will effectively abolish section 21 but may not you know they will have provisions in there that might mean that some of the elements that we already are familiar with uh, in the regime will actually uh, uh, retain another peer lord munro palmer who is the chair of my advisory uh, council i spoke to him literally yesterday at my advisory council meeting yesterday and we spoke about the the white paper because in the past, uh, you know, governments have issued a bill and then a white paper as a way of trying to get uh, legislation quicker through um, process. Are you? The, the, the thinking is that you do the hard work before you actually have to go for the parliamentary process. But he he is saying, well, he is, you know, the, the likelihood is this would be quite a light bill, but contain a lot of what's called Henry VIII clauses. And Henry VIII clauses are basically enabling the Minister of State to take action at a later date uh, uh, to amend the bill um, as appropriate. It was what we saw when client money protection came in, for example. Uh, there wasn't any anything in the legislation that actually set it up it allowed the minister uh, to at their leisure if you call it uh, introduce this sort of legislation through secondary uh, legislation uh, statutory instruments so we could well see uh, quite a light bill with a lot of provisions in it for the future enabling and empowering uh, the government to do this another thing you've got to bear in mind that the number one priority for the government legislation wise is to abolish the fixed term parliament act so uh, uh, as at the, today, we would be expecting to have an election on the 24th of May, 20, uh, 2nd of May, 2024, fixed in Parliament, that that would be the date of it. The government don't like that for obvious reasons that someone like Boris Johnson will want to go to the, uh, to the polls when he feels that the climate is right, not uh, when it uh, is an, uh, adverse to him. So I, I can imagine that the, uh, that would be the first bill to go, uh, come through, that they'll abolish that. And we could be looking at mid-2023 onwards of having a general election. Now, given that you've got to get the legislation through uh, and, and enacted, it could do one of, uh, you know, two things. One, it could mean that, 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 that you can get a quick fix bill that goes through so that when he goes to the mm-hmm. election, it's in his manifesto that we delivered that. Or, or it could mean that, that we run out of time on a lot of this stuff and, and, and you know, it, it, it goes beyond an election. And, uh, and, and, and then, you know, what comes out of that election is a new government that may or may not prioritise any or all of this. And we saw this with, if, if I remember rightly, correct me if I'm wrong, um, we saw that kind of effect on the Tenant Fee Act in June 2019, mm. didn't we? Because that was meant to be much earlier and then obviously got, got moved and moved and moved and had to again essentially slot in around the changes in, in government and even the changes in, in leadership within the government, um, uh, I think. So the, it, you're right to note that, of course, because that does have an effect on, on the timeline of these things. And your point around um, the similarities between CMP are, are probably quite concerning for a lot of agents because essentially that is you know, um, uncertainty. 
Um, mm. the, 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 the basis of the grounds of change or law are there, but they're not enacted and they could be bought at any time. It's almost a suck it and see. And actually, you know, what this sector, in my opinion, needs at the moment is certainty. And for the first time in the pandemic, I'd argue, we've had that from an eviction point of view, for example. We know that come the 1st of October, um, the legislation returns back, um, certainly hoping uh, there won't be any further U-turns uh, on that. But, um, you know, I think all cards on the table, who knows? Um, just finally on abolishing Section 21, what do you think the, um, on the understanding you have at the moment, what do you think the knock-on effect of following through on the suggestions so far would be on letting agents and landlords, Sean? Well, you know, it, it, it is again uh, going to have that uncertainty. Um, one thing, you're going to have a cliff edge. So let's not beat around the bush. As soon as a roadmap of this, you are going to find that, uh, that there's going to be a cutoff date um, uh, for when you can serve Section 21 and post section 21 so you could well see a kind of a big spate of 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 landlords deciding oh look it's going to be so hard to get my my tenant out i'm going to get rid of them now and and start a churn on that Uh, and uh, you know there's going to be confusion because at the moment the section 21 legislation has been tinkered with and added to uh, so now it's four months uh, uh, you know before the covid when it was four months uh, uh, you couldn't serve a section 21 Uh, the provision of uh, uh, you know of repairs and uh, and and uh, uh, retaliatory evictions were brought in. Not least, if you look at the way that it's also weaved its way into uh, so many other bits of uh, legislation. So it affects deposits, for example. If you don't pres- uh, protect or uh, serve the prescribed information, you can't serve a section twenty-one. Of course, so the uh, how to rent guide needs to be given. Uh, Just on that, Sean. So the how to rent guide. We had an interesting case actually uh, this week with two agents, um, which suggested it, it, it's definitely something that you know others could, could encounter and and a lack of understanding potentially on what the duties are from a how to rent mm-hmm. perspective especially when let's go from fixed into periodic yeah um my understanding is that that's recognized essentially as a new let and therefore um you know the correct how to rent guide needs to be served on that that time and of course it, more recently i think it was back in december we saw a a one word change to the how to rent guide which was announced but wasn't announced yes. it wasn't clar- there was no clarity there and we've actually seen um us have to backtrack on our legal cases from a rent protection perspective to get those back in line and then go again so this tinkering and these you know um these almost infinite changes really do have a knock on effect to landlords and letting agents don't they that- it's a nightmare you know uh, um agents struggle with this so how are landlords getting their heads around it you know that's that. You know you mentioned earlier about whether you know some of these changes will will make it less likely for a um, for a landlord to use uh, an agent. And you know there may be an effect there that they they start to use their their money heads and say, oh look, you know, we'll do it ourselves. But look, it's so complicated now. If you don't use a letting agent, you're a fool. To be fair, you know it's you, you know, most of these people are not doing this full time. They're not uh, full-time landlords. They're small mum-and-pop landlords, as Paul calls them, Paul Sampley calls them. And they are trying to do for their pension. It's for investment. So, But it's now so complicated, you need an expert that knows what they're doing. So, the, so it ties into kind of like helping the letting agent to provide the information and the service that they need. So it becomes a bit of a chicken and egg, which is why this is 
you know, such a complicated situation. Once you start tinkering with this, it has so many different strands and so many different uh, implications uh, for the whole of the industry. And from a Section 21 perspective, let's say that is removed. We're going to talk very quickly, uh, very shortly about empowerment under Section 8, potentially, um, which mm. seems to be, the, uh, for want of a better phrase, the dumping ground for anything else that we might be able to get through and reversing powers into that that process. But there'll be concerns out there, of course, from landlords and letting agents alike, that this essentially means that you know the ability to get your property back when you want to sell it, for example, or we've yes. seen plenty of cases in the, during the pandemic of um, you know armed forces personnel needing to refer, return back home, trying to get the property back, they can't. Do you think there's a real danger that those um, those demographics within within the sector are going to be missed? Um, or do you have a level of confidence that actually there, there will be some prioritization over those kind of fringe cases, but albeit extremely important cases when, frankly, people need their homes back, they own them. So, you know, my opinion is they should have a right to get them back in some mechanism. Well, absolutely. You know, and, and we've not even touched on students. And, and, and I heard an, a, another story the other day uh, uh, about a little boom on the uh, HS2 routes where uh, rental properties are being rented out to construction workers because somebody's, you know, this is going to take several years. So, of course, companies have been taking out these lets, but a lot of them have actually been taking them out in the name of the construction workers and not as commercial ones there. So all of these complexities that are going to be in the market, you know, uh, how are you going to provide with a with a with a with a, a provision for every single one of these uh, these scenarios? Unless you have you know a free free flow box where you can put the answer, uh, you know what this is the reason, and the judge mm. sits there and and makes up that decision. You know the one of the things that, that, uh, about the section eight is that half the grounds or, or, or just under half the grounds are mandatory, and the other are, are discretionary. Yeah. Now judges love discretionary uh, grounds because it allows them to make the uh, decision based on that but certainty landlords and letting agents would want to see as many mandatory grounds in the section 8 as possible of course because that, you know you can actually then make a provision and say look I'm, I'm going to make a plan because I, I can serve a section 8 under section whatever of the uh, of the new um, um it won't be called Section 8, it'll be called something else. Uh, and I know that I will be able to get my property back following, uh, you know, following a simple process. So you're going to have that kind of like dilemma, uh, uh, you know, of what should be mandatory and, and what sh- uh, uh, it will be at the discretion of a court. And the more that goes towards the discretion of the court, you know, the less certainty there's going to be. Sure. And just finally, on, on the point of Section 21, we've got a question in from one of the um, attendees. Um, uh, we have an agent that served a current how to rent guide at the same time as the Section 21 notice. So um, I take it from that they've, they've not served it predominantly when it's gone into, into, into the uh, periodic um, stage. Um, if we were to issue a Section 21 claim, an accelerated claim, will this lead to the claim being thrown out, in your opinion, Sean? That's that's the million dollar question. You know, if a judge looks at that and deems that that hasn't actually been served at the correct period of time, then possibly. However, you've done the right thing. You know, uh, you've served it at that stage. Um, then if you're using a, 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 a decent uh, um, a, a fixing specialist company, can I plug landlord action? Uh, and uh, uh, they will they will do everything to make sure that all the boxes have been ticked on that on that particular thing there. But you raise a very good point on that because, like, literally, um, we we got some intelligence from the horse's mouth of the barristers that are representing uh, Tricarol, who are the uh, company that is involved in the gas safety debacle. For people that don't know that, uh, uh, one of the provisions uh, to be able to serve a section twenty one 
one is was to have undertaken and served a uh, an un- undertaken served a gas safety um, uh, check, uh, but that was uh, uh, subject to uh, to a court case where it was deemed that because it was served late, it, you could never serve a section twenty one. Uh, to Carroll, who were the defendants, won an appeal, uh, but the uh, Roundsfield, who is the the tenant in this particular case, uh, their legal team have taken uh, appealed to the Supreme Court, and ironically, the the Supreme Court will not even list for the next three months, and 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 a date could well be into next year. So, ironically, while this legislation is going on, we won't even have the clarity on things like gay staff. Uh, gas safety. Do you start to see the complexity of everything that we've got, we've got involved in this? Yeah, and, and with so many moving parts, again, it, it's really a minefield. And and we're seeing, you know, we're seeing different case law, arguably that that, that doesn't follow suit. Previous, I think the point around the the house rent guide, for example, being served at the same time, uh, there will be cases where that's been done and have been finalised. There, there is obviously potential where judges could pick that up too. Um, so it's it feels like there is a level of uncertainty around some of these points that is. Is less than helpful, arguably, Sean. Well, absolutely. And, and you have to remember that, you know, uh, to our lovely listeners from Wales and Scotland, this doesn't apply to you. This is England only. You're not a lot of this stuff. So we're going to have border uh, issues of, uh, you know, due to the different administrations. So uh, we've already seen that in all uh, a lot of the acts that are going through. Um, this is this is going to make the, uh, the environment even more complicated. Sure. Okay. Um, let's look at section eight then. So just, just re- reminders um, uh, again, what were the uh, intended objectives of the changes to section eight under the um, proposed, it's not a proposed bill, is it? The, <laughs> the idea of renters at the Renters Reform Act. Uh, well, what was section eight going to do? Okay. So it's, it's, it's twofold. If you get rid of section 21, which is no fault evictions, you have to have a robust section eight um, um, uh, eviction process. So effectively, both Section 21 and Section 8 will be abolished and replaced by a single um, eviction process. And the idea of, uh, of that is that, that, will, uh, that they will also work on getting that to be um, a, a lot more efficient and a lot far, faster. So, uh, you know, at the moment, uh, you know, there is some technology involved in, um, in, the, pro- in the current processes with uh, online, they call it PCOL, uh, where you can do everything online. Now, whether that's, uh, you know, uh, one of the things I think they're going to have to do on that is bolster that up so that, so that the process becomes a lot more efficient now technology can help it's not the always the answer but it, it can help and then it's to have a look at the man, uh, at the grounds on under which uh, um, section 8 can be served and uh, you know and whether um, and i think you know we've already touched on a few of these things whether new grounds need to be uh, introduced and whether they should be mandatory or discretionary you know so that's that's the basics behind it now Beyond that, uh, and, and this is a good lead in for a bit of reading for your um, uh, listeners, the TLIC, the Letting Industry Council, which is basically the voluntary group that brings together uh, uh, all, everybody practically in the industry. If you're not a member of the TLIC, it seems that, you know, you don't seem to exist. Um, they they did a, a very, very in-depth study, uh, um, an impact assessment on what they felt was going to be the uh, impact of all these changes. It's called Beyond Section 21. You can find 
find that online if you go onto the TLIC website. Uh, and it was pretty much saying, well, really what's going to be needed is a huge amount of investment in the court services uh, to make it more efficient. So we're going to need more judges. We're going to need more court time. It also looks at things like mediation and conciliation yeah. because a lot of this at the moment, most people serve a section 21 and then they negotiate the tenants out. They don't need to go to, to, to court. If now at every stage there's going to be a reason having to be given, then where you have a reason, you have a uh, you have a potential dispute so every single case could potentially be uh be, be contested in theory uh and and believe you me there will be uh, um uh, you know huge numbers of lawyers and the housing charities and uh people like generation rent who will be pushing tenants to, to fight back on this and contest this all the way so yeah which is alien to the point in which they're trying to achieve because the focus of course above and beyond a abolishing no fault and inverted commas evictions was to improve the uh, the ease and speed in which where there were proper grounds a landlord could take possession this you know when i read the first iteration of this thing i actually started to well you know lifetime deposits will come on to shortly good luck but you know i can see why that would definitely benefit from a tenant's perspective section 21 bit of the unknown but from a section 8 perspective if you're essentially saying there should be clearer rights and a clearer path that is easier and more efficient for landlords to follow where there's clear grounds to do so, that seems a benefit. But actually, the knock-on effect of the changes and you know, almost in tandem by removing Section 21, adding power to Section 8, you know, does mean that the, the process won't be more efficient from what you're saying there. It will be, it will be elongated because, there, because, of course, there's more grounds for dispute. And you know, if we take into account where we are now, arguably because of the pandemic, but who knows where the mediation would have come in in any way, you start to build a picture that actually you can see this process is going to have different different forms um, yes. and there's going to be certain checkboxes you have to follow. And to me, that doesn't fit the profile of focusing on ease and efficiency, which, again, was the point of the, of the bill from a landlord perspective. No, absolutely. And look, look, haven't we seen uh, uh, you know a dry run of all of this with uh, with the current processes that have been in place for COVID? You know, the review process that, that you know they've introduced. I, I don't think that's going to go away. I think you, you're going to at mm. every stage going to have to go through this review uh, pre court review process where you have have to go and present whether you've done. Uh, all the tick boxes that you need to do. Uh, the government's introduced uh, um, a pilot on, on on mediation. Personally, I think that's too little, too late in terms mm. of the process. Because by the time you've actually got to the stage of getting a court uh, a court slot, uh, you know your your arrears and and your relationship with your tenant is probably broken down. That's why we brought in the tenancy mediation services to try and have you know that at the earlier stage, you know before the notice is served or around about the same time as the notice is served well, before indeed. it's got really, really bad. You know, it, it, It's something that we, we adopted back in March 2020 mm. um, as part of our rent protection policy um, uh, mm. service. And what we've found is actually from a mitigation perspective for landlords and agents, we've been able to resolve close to 30% of cases that have, have where, where two parties have, have essentially communicated with each other. Um, so th- there's a real benefit of doing that mediation piece. But like you say, you can't be doing this at the point after, you know, you're essentially at court. And, you know, it's, it's clear to me um, that once you start that process, that is the drawbridge being brought up. And you do see material change in behaviours from tenants, for example, once they are get, getting taken to court um, versus, you know, 
focus on the initial symptom rent has not been paid for example and understanding quite finitely in granular detail what the circumstances are that gives you the best possible chance and um you know, for us, that's part of our product that will that will remain, frankly, way after the pandemic because yeah, no, I think it's beneficial. And if you're if what you're saying is right, that we're actually we're going to see more disputes, we're going to see elongated timelines here, uh, potentially, uh, you know, against what the proposal was was intended to do. Then it puts even more pressure, frankly, on that first part of the uh, the process being as transparent and 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 using mediation and such. Um, to try and get a resolution as quickly as possible because no landlord's going to want to go through these, this process, you know, in its entirety, I'd imagine. No, you're absolutely right. And, and you know, from, uh, you know, a good law's perspective with, with the product that you, you are offering, it, it makes sense for everybody that that's introduced because, uh, you know, from the, uh, uh, from the landlord's point of view, it will be a, a quicker process. From the tenant's point of view, it will mean that they can move on, that they haven't been blighted completely by this, uh, you know, bad experience of being in, in, uh, arrears and and from the insurance point of view it will keep premiums at an affordable rate i you know uh, uh yours is a great product i mean more more uh, more landlords and letting agents should, should have that in place you know to take up on uh, rent guarantee um uh, insurances are mm. not as much as they should be let's be a bit controversial is there any scope of you know getting something in in about that into uh, into this act at this uh you know into this bill you know you need car insurance so what why are landlords not protecting themselves using yeah. Uh, you know established products you know I, I i think the whole the whole point around security and peace of mind especially in terms of you know in times of uncertainty is an important one and i do recognize more and more landlords and agents are switched on to that um i think um what landlords struggle with not meaning to speak on behalf of agents but you know i speak to letting agents every day uh, of the week in one guise or other is the accountability and actually mm. as part of these uh, part of the these um, initiatives or this 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 act of course landlord accountability has been very firmly noted um to the point where it's been a main focus um let's just touch on that briefly mm-hmm. um the suggestion here uh, is what sean in terms of accountability from a landlord perspective well, I mean, to quote, you know, Robert Jenrick, just from this, uh, from Mark, he says, tenants should be able to seek redress in a, re- a reasonable time without an uphill struggle and know that they will be heard. So that, in effect, is a, is a pledge to introduce uh, this concept of landlord redress. And we spoke about that um, in, in past webinars, mm. about the fact that letting agents are obliged to be part of a redress scheme, but the landlord, if they don't use an agent, has no, uh, you know, no obligation at all. We also know that, the, you know, the letting agent is, is, is the, uh, you know, is the servant of the, of, of the landlord, but the legal obligations land on the, uh, on the landlord. So right to repair and all the other things there, all that an agent agent is doing is providing the service to deliver that and, and we at the Re- property redress scheme can deal with that we can't deal with rent arrears we can't deal with uh, repair issues uh, uh, you know because they firmly la- lie in the in the remit of the landlord so if you take it from the consumer point of view why should a tenant who's uh, uh, you know in a in a flat next door to another one one's been managed by a very good letting agent the other one's been managed by a landlord why should they have a different experience that's the principle why landlord redress could be very very important but you did touch on the, the and we've touched in the past on this, is that, you know, how are they going to deliver this? There's two and a half million landlords out there. Yeah. At the moment, uh, 60, uh, 60% of those landlords 
probably use a letting agent mainly uh, maybe for let only a smaller proportion actually uh, bite the bullets and, and recognize that the uh, own self-interest for a small fee uses property managers so we banged on about that you know about the value of that for a long long time you know how is this going to be implemented and, and, and they're like the problem and i think the disparity as well potentially with these initiatives between private landlords and indeed letting agent um or landlords that own you know letting agent services is one that will um will be the a, a huge risk frankly to letting agents or if the government do back the basis that you know property agents are going to be regulated for example sean shortly and uh, we know that uh, yeah. that's the tracks. if they do back the fact that this is a professional industry which indeed it very very much is one that has propped up this this country from a housing perspective for many years actually if they align these initiatives and, and legislations across the board to apply to private landlords as well as letting agents what we should find arguably is that funneling back into professional services and really adding value because of course it's my strong belief anyway that a tenant um you know w- under the the service or the umbrella service of an agent has a better experience than that of somebody le- dealing directly with the landlord so no, you know, 100%, there is a, 100%. There is a benefit here that it could be a it could actually be a, a very positive thing or it could be quite a negative thing there's probably not going to be much in between arguably on this point yeah, I mean, you, you know, you would, you would, well, I mean, some people probably did during the, uh, lockdown, but you wouldn't kind of get a pair of pliers and start pulling out your own teeth. You go to a dentist. But the reality is it is a chicken and an egg situation in, in, in the fact that, that there are so many good uh, letting agents out there, but there is a rump of appalling uh, agents out there, uh, you know, that need to be dealt with as well. And we've spoken about the regulation regularly about this. It's kind of chicken and egg. You know, if you can prove that, you know, that you are competent and, and safe to use, then why are people not using that? But at the moment, in the, in the minds of the uh, of some landlord community, is that they don't have the trust in the in the letting uh, um, uh, sector, uh, the letting agent sector. We need to change that, you know. And mm. part of the re, you know, what we do at the re, property redress scheme, everything that you guys do, everything that you know, the the, the trade bodies, Ucala and Arla and all these others are doing, is to establish that uh, you know that authority and that um, expertise to give confidence to the sector you should use an expert and a professional to do this and on that point you know it's frustrating maybe as uh, roper for example may be to some agents given the the work uh, that's that's potentially going to be required um there lies the point isn't it in terms of leaning on these things to say actually look we've gone through a process we are at a certain competency and level and whilst, you know, I would never doubt that, you know, given that we interact with agents every day and, you know, we appreciate the job that, that they, they manage and the challenges they, they frankly take on behalf of landlords from a landlord perspective, maybe having something that is more certifiable um, is potentially a good thing for letting agents. But uh, that will be another webinar. We've done two on Ropo already. We run the risk of dipping back into that. There will be a third, no doubt, um, as no we doubt, understand no more doubt. about that. Yeah that initiative so um, i'm conscious of time let's move on to lifetime deposits because this is something that um i think when first announced um created a bit of a buzz i think it's it's hard to disagree with the with the theory um around saying to a tenant have a lifetime deposit you know i think we're all aware the challenges tenants face merging from one property to another for example and the fact that the dates don't align and they've got to go and find money from bank of mum and dad or wherever it may be and you know, there's no certainty on what's been taken out the previous deposit at that stage. I, I get why that's a troublesome process for, for tenants. So I can understand this initiative. However, um, I think, you know, as you know, we're, we're part of the, the, the industry council meetings. I can't recall one 
comment uh, from Lord Best or any other attendee around lifetime deposits has been anything meaningful in terms of here's the plan. And, you know, as per my understanding, there's, there's been very, very little, if any, work done on this. The suggestion is that the renters reform bill will be well, this paper will be um, brought to us in, in autumn. Is there a strong chance actually this gets missed out? Because I don't recognise there's been any progress from this perspective whatsoever. <laughs> Look, it's, it, it's a matter of style over substance, I'm afraid. And, uh, you know, just very briefly, part of the, you know, part of this uh, m- m- might come down to my good self and my brother, Eddie Hooker, who's the CEO of My Deposits and Hamilton Fraser, in the fact that, we, you know, uh, we, we started to, uh, to see that there were structural issues that may need to have been addressed on deposits, uh, you know, not least with the prescribed information and, 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 and you know, and, and, and all those various uh, um, uh, different parts of that. It was also at the time when no deposits were becoming a thing and a number of people were coming into the market saying, well, actually, deposits you know, our thing in the past, we need no mm. deposits. So we, you know, Ed and I, you know, uh, ironically, we did a series of white papers, you know, uh, on future of deposits and, and no deposits. And, uh, uh, you know, Ed and I put this together. It then the government then got interested in this. We had a meeting with Heather Wheeler. And from that, they started a deposit working group with uh, uh, my deposits, two other schemes. They invited shelter and a, a, a number of people. And, they, and the government were actually talking about these things like tenant passports lifetime uh, they didn't have the word lifetime deposits in there uh, but things like uh, whether tenants should be responsible for the protection of the deposit not the landlord or the letting mm-hmm. agent uh, those sort of things were in progress and they'd had a number of meetings and then of course uh, the government opened their mouth and came up with this branded lifetime deposit thing before the group had actually reported oh, this sounds like a really good idea this is going to be popular before the group had actually Actually, gone and said, well, actually, you know, these things are going to be changing. How are we going to do that? Because it's going to cost money, time, and everything else to do that. And they announced it. And of course, a politician, once they've announced something, you know, are kind of stuck with it a little bit. Mm. So, you know, they're, they're, they're you know, they've got this nice little kind of like branded uh, name, lifetime deposits. But what what does that mean? Is it is it tenancy um, passports? Is it a, a situation where you, you know you literally have a guarantee or whatever? Uh, my view, very very quickly, and and it's, again, ironically, the NRLA have done some work on this. Uh, you know, if you're going to have a, a lifetime deposits, you're going to have to look at it in the holistic. So you have the traditional deposits, you have uh, the no deposits uh, situation. You've now got the situation where with the deposit cap, the five-week deposit cap, which is predominantly the uh, the cap you now got the issue that we never looked at pet, uh, pets in the, in this and, mm. and whether you need any changes on that so the reality of that is that you're going to have to have a system that works and the system that works for both the letting agent and the landlord and for the tenant the tenant should feel that they have access to redress on any issue whether they have a deposit or no deposit on end of tenancy matters the landlord has to understand that be assured that they will be able to have sufficient money to cover uh, initial rent arrears and or damages to the property in the norm we know deposits won't cover all of that but we know that that's the situation and and how are you going to do that mechanically in the current uh, deposits system and incorporate the other things into it? And ultimately, you know, what are you going to do, say, if a deposit has to have deductions? Because, of course, if you've got a thousand pound deposit 
and you have 500 pounds you've got to find mm. another 500 pounds so how do you top it up so well, you know, also on that basis if, if you if you move into a bigger or smaller property too the, the amounts aren't always going to be aligned if correct with the the weekly rate i mean like you know i think as we've discussed in theory you can see the sense in practice this is a this is a minefield because you know there's probably you know we were saying earlier before the call thousand if not thousands of different permutations that once you really look at this it's a huge huge piece of work and um that that's what leads me to my question here in terms of saying you know this they've clearly said the papers during the autumn i wonder whether actually there's going to be an emission on there which um has a, a lifetime deposit shape hole where they reserve the right to come back to us all and uh, and figure it out and you know challenges in the last 15 months taken into account uh, personally i can see that that being relatively likely a Henry VIII clause, so you know, yes, it's yeah, going to be put in there that the the, the the Minister of State will reserve the right to look at this in the in, in yes. the future. Uh, so, so look, I think you will see changes to the deposit process. I think the working group itself will come up with try come up with some practical stuff there. But whether it will be the pure uh, bread uh, time deposit that the government uh, has aspired to, yeah, mm. what's this space? I would say. And you mentioned mentioned no deposit or deposit replacement schemes there. It's something that we um, we have partnerships with the likes of Flatfair and mm. um, and Reposit with. I know from a Hamilton Fraser perspective, you have the own product. So th- there is a uh, an underlying product that can offer change there, isn't there? We, that offers varying different benefits according to to what the tenants or, or the, the landlords even needs are. But um, we're certainly not seeing those products become the norm. And therefore, this this probably adds weight to, to having to address some of the issues that we're seeing around deposits, frankly. You know, I mean, you know we, we, do, we do the uh, deposit adjudications for flat fare. We also have own, our own uh, product. Mm. But we, we're very, very uh, aware that it's, it's, I wouldn't say a niche market, but it's not for everybody. No. You know, uh, and, and it can't be because, you know, the, the, although they're not insurance products, they're kind of like based on that sort of principle. And you have to qualify for them. But ultimately the the the, the universality of a, a of a redress scheme or an adjudication on on an end of tenancy thing is a principle that must be kept you know we have the deposit schemes there if we're looking at landlord redress we could cover that off on both sides of that tenant mm. then has that situation that they can appeal uh, and that's the the important element of it Okay, Sean, thank you very much for those insights. Um, again, the intention here was to, to try to have a, have a bit of a broad discussion, really, about everything uh, relating to the, the renters' uh, reform act, of which, uh, again, it's pretty clear that um, there, there's many sort of uh, points here that we're, we're obviously waiting on, on, on confirmation on. But hopefully this gives you a feel for where things are going um, for, our, for our attendees. Um, in terms of... Um, uh, any questions? Let me just double check if there's anything we've missed here that I don't think we've covered. Ben, are no deposits currently the double deposit situation already? Would the government backing these schemes or assisting these are presented as an option to all tenants be the best route? Um, I think, as as Sean said, whilst no deposit schemes will, will answer a few of the questions posed by the, the challenges that the deposit process faces, you know, in, in most cases, the, there's a qualifying criteria. And also, in, in, in some cases, landlords simply do not want to entertain anything but the, the directive of the tenant fiat in 2019 of the five-week deposit. So um, I, I think we're yet to arguably see a, an answer 
to the perfect route to this. And uh, again, hopefully, as, as we've discussed, it, it's clear that our thoughts are probably that, that that's some way off yet. Um, it'll be very interesting to see actually what, what the inclusion around this in, in the white paper in the autumn is. And uh, the autumn is not far away, um, Sean. So uh, we haven't got too long to wait in the context of things, especially given how quickly the last sort of 14 months have gone. Sean, thank you very much for your for your, um, for your insights uh, through this session. Um, as, as Sean has touched on, the PRS uh, obviously on hand to help um, with any such cases. And you can see more information at their website, um, along with understanding more about how Portion Complainer, Portion Complainer, sorry, the landlord's friend can um, support you and your agency uh, to attract more landlords. And I think actually uh, Paul, myself and, and a few other attendees have a, an up and coming uh, webinar um, uh, very shortly uh, in the coming months. So look, look forward to interesting debate on that. If you want to understand more about what's going on in the market, um, please do utilize our news agent site. Um, uh, we try and put as much content and data and stats on there as we possibly can. It's continuously updated. You do not have to be a good law customer to benefit from this. Of course, we'd like that. Uh, moving on to liking you to be a good law customer. If you want to know more about Good Lord, um, understand more about our tenancy progression platform, um, our award-winning rent protection uh, product, and our tenancy services that can add more revenue and provide a better level um, of, uh, of service and product to your tenants and landlords, arguably, then you can visit our website and book a call. And you can have an online demonstration and a consultation on how automating some of these processes may be a benefit to your business. Um, that's all we have time for. Um, that was a really interesting session, Sean. Once again, thank you to you. Um, and look forward to maybe a follow-up on, on ROPA, uh, renters reform, changes in eviction legislation. Um, anything else going on uh, in the oh, next few weeks? You know what's going to happen. You know, as soon as we say that, there's going to be a yeah. whole load of things changing. Yeah, so uh, yeah, Indeed. more than happy to come back. You know, we've, we've barely scratched this uh, on the surface, really, haven't we? And, and there's the fear, I suppose. But uh, on, on that on that note, um, uh, given how, how much uh, context there is, we will more than likely see you again, me and Sean, talking about this topic. Thank you very much for your time. Have a fantastic day, um, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Cheers, Sean. Mm -hmm.